0: The Digital Transition. The Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition Podcast number 24. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrand, and today I'm chatting with Brian McSweeney from the Department of Transport and Main Roads, or TMR. Now, this is an agency of the Queensland Government, and I wanted to try and get an update on their digital transition journey. But before I talk to Brian, I need to talk to you a little bit about our exclusive sponsor, NBS. So their NBS Chorus product... It enables collaborative management of your specification directly uh, from the cloud and it's directly linked to your building model. Now, this allows you to increase productivity and reduce risk with a single point of truth. There's not really any other products on the market here in Australia that has that connectivity and access to your BIM model. Now, to learn more about MBS and NBS Chorus, please head over to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. So now on with the show. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Brian.
1: You're welcome, Nathan. It's always a pleasure.
0: Now, firstly, Brian, you know, people that are located here in Queensland and frequenting Brisbane or even doing work with TMR, they'd be reasonably well familiar with who you are. But for those that are listening today, uh, can you uh, enlighten us and tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Thanks, Nathan. Yes, um, I guess in today's environment, I'm a bit of an anomaly, mate. Um, I've been working for Transport and Main Roads in its various forms since about 1972, so about ticking over 48 years at this particular point in time. Um, began my career as a road design draftsman in Roma back in those days sort of transitioned up to Cairns for a while, came back to Brisbane about 1980, worked in the department's highway planning and uh, design branches and then transitioned into the CAD systems area where I started playing with um, computer software applications, road design software applications uh, back in the Unix uh, Sun workstation days. So uh, very early on in that sort of space before the PC really became um, popular with how we were doing things. After the sort of on the tools work, I've performed a number of roles in leadership in the department, including manager of a design services group in road tech consulting as it was, which is fairly similar to any of the engineering consulting firms that are out there today, then moved into actually being manager of the design systems area, delivering the ICT and CAD related uh, road design software applications across the department. And then moved into a role of what we termed manager of the road design capability group, which was really about setting qualification requirements and competency framework for our road designers. So when we recruit them in, they come in with a uh, an engineering qualification, but then we do a little bit of that training that turns them into a road designer. So in that sense also, uh, I am actually an engineering associate fellow with Engineers Australia. I was lucky enough to be a recipient of their um, National Engineering Associate Award back in 2013, Nathan, so been around in the business for quite some time. You oh, are. Sorry, but narrowly <laughs> in the road design space.
0: Well, that's a very linear answer, isn't it? But two, <laughs> two years off a golden jubilee, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an impressive place to stay for um, a career, you know, and seeing seeing the change in, in, a, in a department must be, or an agency as they're called now, um, would be quite interesting. Now, instead of being TMR, in terms of the real words for what it's called, it's the Department of Transport and Main Roads here in Queensland. It's obviously a yes. very large agency of the queensland state government uh can you it certainly is can you explain to the listeners the areas that t m r are actually responsible for
1: okay that's a big ask, I guess, oh, but having been around for, for some time, I've, I've got a bit of a feel for for what happens in other divisions, so um, let's just try and run through them for you. Obviously, uh, for those who don't know, the department's strategic vision is to create a single integrated transport network accessible to everybody, and, and that's certainly what our DG uh, certainly puts out in the marketplace whenever he's talking. Now, to underpin that, obviously, we've got, if you think about the general customer services and safety and regulations branches, so obviously customer services are those areas that look after licensing and registration, most people would be aware of that. But we've also got a maritime safety and a land transport safety and regulation branch that underpins the operations in those two particular areas. We've got TransLink, which focuses on, for those who aren't aware, the public transport network here in Queensland, both for and bus and rail. We've got a policy planning and investment branch that um, focuses on getting the dollars from Treasury for supporting what we term the QTRIP program. So, our infrastructure spend comes from Treasury dollars. Um, Our policy planning investment unit is is the area of the department that pulls all of that QTRIP program together to make sure that we've got a, a program of works every financial year. We've got a corporate division that, that underpins just the general running of the business. I mean, the, the sorts of things around human resources, finance and procurement. It also has our uh, internal information technology services group and a couple of governance and internal audit functionality in there. And then the area that I work in is the infrastructure management and delivery, which has four branches under it. One is road tech. So we still do have a commercial building arm uh, in in transport and main roads. Um, we're still running the new generation rolling stock, so they've come in now with the, with the new trains, obviously, and, and how they're being rolled out across the network. Program delivery and operations is generally where we sit with the issuing of tendering or uh, internal design of our road network. So if we're not engaging external consultants to do that work, we do have a small cohort internally that does um, delivery and operations of road transport infrastructure projects. And the area that I actually work in is engineering and technology. Now, it's an area that generally sat around technical policy standards and guidelines that sort of put the framework around how, uh, say areas like PD&O would actually operate. Um, and obviously, that's there where I've come into this now in trying to define, you know, what the BIM implementation strategy may look like for TMR, and how do we then roll that out across the business? So yeah, quite a big organisation, Nathan.
0: A lot of a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, but I guess as as you said, it it ties all the way back to trying to achieve that one major objective in terms of connectivity for the residents of Queensland and visitors to Queensland. Last year, I did have a conversation with with Colin Mann from PCSG about the work that he had been doing uh, with TMR, and you know, it, it's good talking to yes. you know both sides of the st- story. You know, I was talking to a consultant that was consulting to you at the time, but it's always really good to, to have a conversation with the client representatives, people that are uh, the stakeholders and the ones that are actually doing this stuff day to day in terms of getting the information, no, no, from the horse's mouth, but more so getting it from the person that is actually going to make the most impact. Now, over the last couple of years, through case studies that I've seen in presentations and industry events, there have been a number of pilot projects that have been um, delivered uh, by industry for TMR. Now, were they in response to the Department of Infrastructure, Local Government and Planning's State Infrastructure Plan that was released in March 2016, or were they because of other reasons, um, agency needs,
1: A good question in actual fact because while we're sort of running those pilot projects now, that is a a culmination of quite a body of work that we've actually been doing in the department um, probably since about 2013, Mm -hmm. BIM in itself, I guess, has sort of come into the organisation as far back as 2009. So we have actually, because we've been doing that 3D modelling component of roadways since then, BIM started creeping in as a terminology back in 2009 dropped away for a considerable period of time, re-emerged, I think, around about 2013, and that was a conversation that was started actually by our industry partners, would you believe, who had come back to us as an organisation saying, at the moment, this is what we're delivering for you, but there are other things that we can do. So we started that conversation with industry partners. I think 2014, there was um, a Productivity Commission inquiry report into public infrastructure and and there was a recommendation that came out of that that spoke about BIM implementation and including you know BIM into the procurement guidelines and other things uh, from probably that was more the federal government arrangement. For us in the department our first exposure to it first foray would have been in actual fact the the new generation rolling stock um, project site out of Wookaraka near Ipswich Mm -hmm. some of, the, some of the people that we've been talking to, and you would probably know, uh, were originally involved in some of that work. It went through and saw BIM deployed in, in early stages of concept design and through, right through to construction. Another one that um, actually it's interesting with the uh, big explosion over in Beirut at the moment, 2014, uh, there was a crash out uh, Angelala Creek way out around Charleville where a truck can, carrying some ammonia nitrate had actually crashed into a creek. Luckily enough, the driver had managed to get out of the truck some um emergency services people had turned up on site with a big fire truck and everything, and would you believe they were standing behind that vehicle when the ammonia nitrate actually exploded and, and blew up the Angelala Creek Bridge. So that was, again, sort of another four, starting of a four A for us around about 2014 of getting into there. When industry approached us, we started sharing um, an, a TMR, an industry working group on BIM, which has morphed into what you see now uh, I guess today is the Queensland BIM Working Group. So in that sense, we were actually part of the development of uh, the guidelines that, that Diljip has, has put out there in, in 2016. So yeah, a long journey for us. Um, still there, I guess we had the National Digital Engineering Working Group um, phase in there for a period of time led by, I think it was Simon Woe from Transport for New South Wales. That seems to have disappeared from the landscape at the particular point in time. And has now taken over i think there's a a cohort of treasurers or something that may be looking at bim implementation on a national agenda but uh, we haven't seen much of it up here in in tmr
0: yeah well it, it demonstrates then that i guess there were some efficiencies that you were achieving uh in those in those early pilot projects that you were you know industry kind of responding and saying how we can deliver greater value that then you know, formalized itself more so in that infrastructure plan that was developed um, by Diljip at the time. But at the time, when you were doing those pilot projects, uh, you know, throughout the obviously last decade, was there a specific focus of those pilot projects, or was it less that, you know, before things became more formalized with the, uh, the policy that's out now in terms of digital enablement policy that came out in 2018? Was there a formal approach to the outcomes you were trying to achieve with the pilot projects, or was it just, you know, the industry demonstrating what capability that, that industry had and then, you know, it opened opportunities for TMR?
1: I think that's exactly the way it was. It was certainly industry driving it from from that perspective in the early days. The, the release of, of the State Infrastructure Plan did formalise how we were then engaging. So we we're actually coming out and and using terminology of BIM implementation into the project uh, and trying to, to write into the contractual arrangement some of those things that we were looking for and very early days for us. So, you know, I'd, I'd be the first to admit that we were very BIM light, um, say, in some of those first projects that started to roll out we were really using them to do a bit of a gap analysis. Uh, As I mentioned, we've been doing string-based modelling uh, for a considerable period of time. And for people who don't understand that, if you think about a road alignment, the centre line, for example, can be defined by uh, an alignment that defines horizontal and vertical geometry. And then from that, we would hang off edge strings for kerb and channel and then batter strings take us down to the natural surface. So we were defining strings that um, created a 3D model Of the constructed roadway or the roadway that was to be constructed, um, but in that linear sense. And we were able to feed that into machinery guidance systems. So you'll see a lot of the major um, construction machinery with their GPS locators, um, the little white aerial sitting up on the side there that sort of tells them where they are. So it was to some degree driving, say, the blade of a grader. You Mm -hmm. have to have this depth of fill or cut. And that's what we're getting out of our 3D models. The step change for us now is obviously moving into object-based models and the intelligence that we can put to those objects in these models so that's that's the change for us i guess And, and that's really what we're doing through these early pilots was trying to identify what is the gap what are we changing what do we need to be focusing on to achieve these better outcomes through the project
0: so initially, the 3D model through the design phase was driving benefits for maybe more quicker and more accurate construction because of the fact that the machines were guided by information that was being fed to them from the software tools in terms of saying, you know, cut to this to this point, whereas before, in the past, they'd be cutting and a surveyor would be Running around with the electronic dumpy level, and you hear the nice beep, beep, beep when they hit the right level. You know that, that's the first yes, efficiency yes. gain. Exactly right. Now moving forward, you know that that that's an obvious uh, benefit from construction, and you know it is still very early days. You know in terms of trying to identify found or achieve benefits that you would have from your pilot projects in regards to construction and, and maintenance. Has there been any, I wouldn't say significant, because, you know, it's, 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 it's very early days now, but have you found any benefits as an asset manager? You know, well, you're not, your role is in asset management, but in terms of has TMR at this stage seen any benefits of changing from that string-based uh, construction benefit to the, you know, an
1: object-based uh, asset management base? Probably not so much in the projects we're running. Uh, What we are seeing is it's being demonstrated to us that we can be provided with that information. So what I'm seeing at the moment is we are actually getting the 3D object-based models with uh, attributes assigned to objects in those models. The trick for us there is learning how to extract that uh, from those models and, and put it into the asset management systems. We've managed to demonstrate that certainly in the bridge space where we've got a very mature Uh, naming convention for every object within a bridge build and the attributes that we want to know about those objects uh, and we've been able to extract that at least getting it out into a a tabular format that that could possibly feed into our asset management systems down the track. So that that has sort of been proven to us. We know that we can do that now. It's really now about getting the technology to do that
0: uh, in the most efficient way. So that's a really interesting point. So therefore, as an asset owner, you may find that this uh, this object-based element model may have great value for certain assets, but then other assets may not be so important. And I guess that's a really key thing for asset owners to kind of understand moving forward. That sometimes a model has great value, but then you know, in others, maybe for you know, basic highway construction, that you know, that string line and and the and the and the model demonstrating, you know, thicknesses of the various substrates might be adequate.
1: Well, exactly right. And to that degree, we're still running in parallel. You know, we are still providing that string-based model to the contractor to build. Mm. What I'm really focusing on is the deliverable of an as-constructed object-based model back to me at the end of the day that will feed information into the asset management systems. I mean, that was... In in reality, that was the, the major issue that we were facing, our ability to capture as constructed information from a red line markup of a 2D drawing coming back into the department sometime after the project had been finished was really the major issue that we're looking at because then we would have to have somebody interrogate those drawings. And you can imagine on some of these projects, there are thousands of drawings Mm. that they have to go through and try and extract the asset management information and physically type it into an asset management database. So what we're really looking to do in that digital transition piece of getting back the asset uh, information in an object-based model that we can extract digitally and then place it straight into the asset management systems is going to be a huge benefit for us when we we get it working as well as what we believe it can be.
0: And the difference being that as an asset owner or a client, you can specify the information that you need and the format that that information should be in for each of the different asset types that are part of that as constructed delivery, which then saves you a considerable amount of time in, you know, manually entering entering that data yourself. You know, you know, people just have to do a drive down the uh, you know, and this is probably energyx's space rather than uh, TMRs, but you know, all the light poles, for example, are I don't know the light poles yours or energyx?
1: They're ours, mate, right, and we pay for the power.
0: So so therefore all of
1: those poles that
0: have um, asset identifiers or numbers on them that obviously has yep. a, there's a reason for that, that that's your, you know, an ID that's used by maintenance teams or people that you've asked to go and, you know, rectify, you know, we've got a fault on, on this light pole, for example, go to it. And it's yes, written on exactly it. Exactly right. And yep. the poor people at the end of the project would be manually probably typing that into a system right now, or not, maybe not right now,
1: but maybe in the past. Yes, it certainly was. So we, we've made some advances in the digital space probably not so much in the modelling, but that's one of the data sets that I, you know, we've got three major information uh, data sets for us. It's the civil roads, the bridges, and then the ITS&E. And you're right, um, these databases have got a lot of information in it. And I'll go back to a point you raised earlier. We still need to weed out what is valuable and what is not in that information data set because we could capture a lot of information about these assets that isn't necessarily valuable um, for us then as an asset maintainer.
0: And it's, it's it's going to be something that it's almost like a, an ISO 9001 scenario where you're going to be progressively understanding more and more about how you can get benefits out of having certain information sets for different assets. So it's not something that uh, any asset owner is ever going to be able to resolve in one take. It's going to be a, a continual improvement and, and adjustments as you go. So it's each project, you're going to learn something new. And it's not really the exactly construction right. phase. It's actually going to be when you're maintaining it and saying, oh, why isn't that information attached to that? I need it I need it for this purpose. Yes. Moving on to, you know, as you're an agency of the Queensland State Government, obviously in, in November 2018 they did release the principles for BIM implementation. That was the policy that's applicable across all the government agencies in Queensland or projects over 50 million dollars in value at this stage and then moving into 2023 where it may apply to all assets dependent upon uh, the business case has that policy obviously you've been doing some work previous to this policy being implemented and adopted by government as a whole has that policy impacted the way in which TMR currently delivers their projects at all or is it or has it been a minor transition?
1: certainly wouldn't see it as a major contributor but what it has done is it's certainly brought into focus the need for us as a department uh, to ensure that our approach is aligned to that government policy so certainly the principles outlined in the document as most would be aware if they've had the opportunity to have a read it talks about being managed effective open and supportive so from that perspective internally i've looked at four work streams that, that i'm trying to drive as an implementation manager um, and what I'm doing is aligning the work streams and, and for me, it's information requirements and you spoke about that earlier. And I mean, that, that is the key piece for us. If, we, if we're going to do this well as a client organisation, we really do need to know what information requirements we have as an organisation around our assets. And to me, that's the managed component. We know what we need to know and now we're trying to build into the modelling process how we capture that information. Sitting under that, then I've got processes and documentation, which is really looking at, I mean, there are many guidelines that we write in TMR internally and externally for people saying, this is how we do things. You know, we've got, um, we actually did publish a a very light TMR BIM guideline back in 2017. I'm looking to bring that out now with a bit more focus on ISO 19650 and Natspec processes. But it talks about how we then, give some guidance to people about what TMR is looking for. Certainly then into contractual documentation. I mean, for us, we we run a number of different contract types. First, obviously is, you know, engagement of the engineering consultants to do the design. So there's a a particular suite of contract documents that we have for that. And I'm trying to write the BIM or not trying to have written some BIM clauses into uh, those documents so that we engage the the engineering consultants. They know what I'm looking for. What TMR is looking for is a deliverable? then into the construction side we've got uh, what we call a TICCO which is Transport Infrastructure Contract Construct Only who takes that design from the engineering consultants and now builds it or alternatively we're into a DNC which has a whole suite of um, Scope of Works technical criteria documents in there that again I've written BIM clauses into so that they understand the contractual arrangement that we're looking for uh, in those types of contracts. So that's through effective of BIM through the processes, documentation, publication we're putting out there. Uh, Open obviously relates to technology. Um, So some of the software applications out there, how are we trying to be as open as we possibly can in what we're asking for as a deliverable, given that we still have internally our own applications and systems that need to consume this information? And I guess that's why... We've made the choice to head down the industry foundation class open file source direction to say, I'm, I'm not too concerned about what application you may use to develop the design in, but what I will be asking for as a deliverable back to TMR will be give me that file in its native file format, and also an industry foundation class, so that I can try and then in bring that back into the applications that we use internally in TMR to to manage our road design, and then obviously. I think the one that we all keep forgetting about is people and capability. You know, how are we going to do, certainly for us as a large, you heard how large our organisation is, and BIM goes across a number of those different divisions. So how I bring the change management into TMR to say, here's the change in process that we're looking you know, contract administrators, project managers, internal designers. There are many little streams that I need to get into in TMR to actually start to build some of that capability in people internally, but also educating industry about what our requirements are so that they know where the skill development needs to happen within their organisations to meet TMR's requirements.
0: It's a challenging one. And each day I keep talking to different people, you know, I spend myself time, a lot of time talking to people about BIM and and what it's all about and what it really means. And You know, when you look at ISO 19650, all it is, you know, and at the moment TMR, before any of this BIM stuff existed, you would have had CAD standards, you know, and each of the as-constructed documents had to be on certain layers and certain line types and certain title blocks and certain numbering naming standards for the drawings. And all this is now is just a more refined set of standards of how information is to be delivered at the end of the project or throughout the project to enable business decisions to be made throughout the design and construction process. So then, you know, you can see whether it's feasible still or whether it's going to be appropriate. And then once it's in operation phase, the information's there to enable more efficient and effective operation and and maintenance of those assets. So the reality of it is, is that it's just a client being, you know, documents you're talking about it's about a client being more descriptive of how they want things done instead of uh sitting there and just saying you know a conversation i had with someone earlier today in a meeting was all about um he had you know we were sitting down having a coffee and he'd had a juice and i said well today what we're seeing with clients is they're just asking for a bottle of juice and what we actually want to do now is say well what flavor is that juice and what size is that juice? You know, what size bottle of juice do you want? And what flavor is it? And what 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 fruit makes up that fruit juice? And yep. that's all that BIM really is, is a client not just being ambiguous and saying I need ads constructed information. It's saying I'd like as constructed information and this is how I'd like it structured and this is the format that I want it in. And and it's really good to hear that. Um, government agencies are starting to take those steps to actually have a good understanding of what those components are because then industry gets a good, better understanding of how they can then build their workflows around meeting clients' needs and benefiting clients rather than just working on their own ways and standards of doing things. It uh, would have been oh, nearly nearly 18 months ago. Well, it would have been 16 months ago when I interviewed Colin, regarding the work that they were doing uh, with TMR, how is the journey going in regards to obviously there's key areas with change management when it comes to, uh, the, you know, having digital processes with models and stuff and the like and, and having digital information rather than relying on PDF manuals and the like. How are you going around the key change areas around technology standards and people, you know, is that is it been a challenge so far or is it, you know, moving smoothly or like everything when it comes to scenarios with change management around um digital enablement, it's it's a long road and and you're making your way along it in a in a slow and steady
1: pace? That's probably the 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 way we're working at the moment we we have got a program of work so for us uh, and certainly in the technology space we have to abide by treasury uh, requirements if we're spending uh, dollars on ict projects and there are a number of gates that we need to go through And, and one is first of all standing up the project and certainly the work that we were doing with colin and pcsg was around what does our common data environment need to look like You know, to some degree, as a client organization, I need to figure out where that CDE fits within a number of different systems that already exist in TMR. Now, if I go out to consulting organization, I'll say, what's your CDE? They will name a particular product that they're using. And I'm going, well, that's fine. That demonstrates to me that you've got a project management or a quality management capability within the software technologies that you're using. But when I try and bring that back into TMR, going i have a funding arrangement set up in what we term 3pcm which is our portfolio program and project management application sitting at the front end which is where those treasury dollars come in so a project starts in that space at the back end i've got an asset management system waiting to receive the information that we get back post construction So for me, uh, the work we're doing with Colin is trying to identify what applications and what processes do we need to have that fit between those two polar opposites and define applications that can provide the functionality that I need that will provide information firstly back upstream to the funding allocated to say, we're spending the dollars in a responsible manner and here's the achievements that we, we managed to pull out of it, but also saying to the asset management, here is the information that has now come through from a new construction build of feeding that information into those asset management systems. Got a considerable project to work. Uh, at the present time, we've been out with a request for industry to tell us what functionality they are able to provide us as an organisation. got about 21, 22 responses, so very mature in some areas across the industry about what's actually out there. We're at what we term now as working down um, into an area that we'll talk about readiness for market. So we will use the information that we've gathered through the work that we've done with PCSG to refine what we term the functional specifications of what we want the CDE to achieve. And when some of the, the situations that we're currently facing with COVID and, and funding arrangements and all of those sorts of things that are starting to impact, we we do have a program where we come back out to industry with an invitation to offer. So that's where we're at. We're, we're at that stage now where we've got a fairly good handle on what we believe we need to procure. It's simply now looking at those external imp, impacts that may Sort of stall that process for us, but we do have a program of works fairly well defined that takes us through to implementation of the CDE. And
0: it's and it's challenging because industry, uh, obviously, have well you know well aware of how they work and operate and function as a business. But there's not many organisations that are, manage as many assets as the likes of uh, TMR. When you think about the the scale and enormity of it, when you're covering, you know, what is it, two and a half thousand kilometres in in length. And, and, and about a 1, s- 1,500 s- width or something?
1: Mate, 33,000 kilometres yeah. state-controlled road network, uh, 3,100 bridges if I'm in the right ballpark there. So you're right. It, it's a considerable uh, length of, of asset that we've got out there at the particular point in time.
0: Yeah. So And that's, that's really what
1: we're trying to manage as an organisation.
0: So, yep. And it demonstrates the need for it to be done, you know, slow and steady because rushing into anything, In regards to trying to change and upend, you know, probably systems and processes that are probably reasonably well managed at this stage and just tweaking, I guess, and trying to find optimizations that you can achieve through, you know, implementing these minor changes.
1: Well, it's certainly around as you know, the, you know the connectivity of those applications inside an organisation. So there, there are some that we see um, from industry partners where connectivity doesn't seem to be an issue. But as a client organisation, where we have in-house uh, applications that we're trying to now plug some of these systems into, that that's really where I'm relying on my um, information technology branch within TMR to help us do some of that work. That's a, that's
0: a massive challenge within itself, and I don't even want to delve into the challenges of. Trying to, you know, manage a uh, a model asset and how you would break that up because you know you turn around and go, well, let's run this rose in in one kilometer chains and and maintain and maintain that one piece of model, but then you'd end up where the junctions didn't work out and then you do maintenance work on and upgrade models for certain bits. We don't even want to start touching that today. <laughs> we could be on we could be talking for hours and hours about the endless possibilities of how that would work. And that in itself, you know, yes. maybe maybe I encourage people to uh, reach out to you if they want to try and solve that problem for you. But this is obviously a, a long journey, and and you've experienced so much change, you know, over forty eight years through your role in TMR. Are there any kind of key lessons, you know, that obviously that aren't kind of specific IP that that TMR that like would like to maintain and and, and hold? But are there key lessons that I think that you've learned that could be reasonably good takeaways? for other asset owners looking to implement digital processes into their organisation.
1: I think, you know, the key one is to understand your end goal. Where are we going with this? What do, why are you doing BIM implementation? Sorry, I'll come back to Simon Sinek, You continually yep. quote yes. at us from time to time, He yeah, says, you know, understand the why. Uh, but that is key. That is really, you know, we, we don't do things just for the sake of doing them. We, we need to understand exactly what we're trying to achieve And to that extent, it comes back to the comment you made earlier, as a client organisation, when we're engaging others to do that work, we have to clearly define to them what we need or what we want as a deliverable at the back end of the day. So certainly from my perspective, you know, don't underestimate the amount of effort required to implement, you know, BIM. You don't just go and buy BIM off a shelf. There's a considerable amount of effort that's required, and I guess... The benefit for us, if we go back to the state infrastructure plan, at least they had a bit of vision there to say BIM implementation by 2023. So that's sort of the mantra that I keep running as well. I, I try to, I guess, just pace everybody to say we still have a bit of time. Don't try and jump into it now and make mistakes Let's make sure we're we're getting the right processes in the right place at the right time and still target that 2023 implementation date.
0: Yeah, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. I guess the other thing is is that 2023 is implementing of BIM, but what is that? And that could be, you know, (laughs) the first steps that you take and then you're always going to continually improve. You might just have a – it'll be placeholder A in terms of the the current needs that you think you as an organisation may fit in and how, how you feel about that. Yep. Yep. I guess one kind of key question, and, you know, it, it, it goes back to your uh, comments in regards to the extent of your asset and asset base and the mixture of the asset base. One of the questions I asked Colin, I have to ask you as well, because to me, this is a fundamental piece to another puzzle is that the challenges that TMR face is that they own certain assets and your local authority or your councils. Uh, all over Queensland also own and then manage and maintain linkages between that massive web. so there's a theres there's always going to be an interaction between TMR assets and local authority assets. Has there been many discussions yet between uh, TMR and local authorities about this potential capability and and where you're heading? And you know is there much interest from the local authorities yet about investigating and aligning their digital
1: processes with TMR? We've certainly had the conversations with um, some of the local government authorities, particularly so I would say here around Brisbane, where we've been sort of working on projects in conjunction with Brisbane City Council. Logan City Council's had some conversations with us. I haven't seen much outside of uh, the southeast corner and I don't get the opportunity to travel that that often out of here either. But I mean, we've always had local government authorities as part of the building TMR. We're, We're always connecting to those networks. So they're there. In a BIM sense, I guess, we've seen work that they have been doing that generally sat around what was termed an ADAC classification of, of object element definitions, so as designed, as constructed, in a similar vein to what we're doing with BIM. So I've actually spoken uh, at the one of the um, Institute of Public Works Engineers Australia Queensland division forums at some stage, and we've had some really good discussions with individuals from, from different local councils down here. I think we're both trying to see how things are moving in the BIM space. I don't know how mature um, the ADAC or the uptake of ADAC across a number of different local government councils is, but in my mind it's a similar sort of thing that we're trying to achieve so there there is a lot of synergy between what they're currently doing and what we are doing as well and and we're seeing some some individuals from those organizations who are you know attending the same sort of forums that we attend to understand you know how how would they look at, at BIM implementation and I've delivered presentations you know at, at such venues at Logan City Council for example have um, always been keen
0: it'd be nice to see them you know, embrace that. And, you know, at this point in time, the focus is on, you know, creating a, a system for asset management, but it would be interesting to then kind of, you know, and these are the terms that I kind of get frustrated by, but I'm going to mention them, a digital twin and smart cities, you know, and they're terms that I kind of, as much as there are people within industry that are, you know, highly involved in in researching and developing concepts around those, you know, that, you know and the and the power of you know Google Google Maps now where they have that much mobile phone data they can generate congestion estimates and times how long Maps, it's going to take yep. you know and and I know that there are a lot of sensors that are placed along the you know the the Queensland government you know TMR's um network, network yep. you know the ability and I'm sure those sensors are all going back to other computer systems and existing you know monitoring systems to confirm how things are all working and, you know, that'd be interesting to see whether or not that actually links in in the future or whether it actually is just seen as excessive and wasteful.
1: Okay. Nice. No, so I guess it's, it's, I don't have a great yeah. um, <laughs> place to play in that space, but I, but I do know that TMR is, is certainly opening in, in sharing its data. So we are on a number of open databases that are available, you know, to the internet. and and sharing that type of information more broadly uh, outside of TMR. So there's certainly uh, a lot of work that we've done in that space and you're right, certainly in the the Google Maps space and, and even internally, I mean, we're talking the BIM implementation piece, there's still a bit of work that we need to do in the GIS space and, and we actually have uh, internally, you know, our GIS maps that allow us to interrogate different data sets. So the transformation of, of information from BIM to GIS is also in the mix to say, how do we then publish that information so that people, it, it's the portal, I guess, that we're trying to look at what's the best way to bring that information in front of people so yeah. that they don't have to be a computer whiz on a particular application but but use some of the other applications that are out there that are, that are much more um, user-friendly, if I put it in those terms.
0: Yeah, and we won't even start talking about how the world isn't flat either <laughs> because, because linear infrastructure obviously no, deals, let's not with, go there. deals with uh, all sorts <laughs> let's of issues not go there. that 100 metres isn't 100 metres and we don't want to blow people's minds on that. but. You know, that, there's a lot of information. Hopefully, people have taken <laughs> taken from our discussion. Oh, mate, I think 100
1: meters is 100 meters is pretty close. Oh, it
0: depends. <laughs> it depends on where you measure it. You know, yeah. it, it, I, I, I'm never going to forget that presentation I saw from John Mitchell on on GIS and BIM and and how inaccurate the world is because of where our flat model, our flat thinking, yes. in our software. So, you know, depending upon where you are from a certain yes. map point and how inaccurate yes. that can be. So. Let's not go there either. But Brian, mate, I'm I'm really appreciative for your time today and and, and grateful to finally nice, have a chat with you. It's it's been good to, you know, put this down and, and, and be able to share this with, with people, you know, across Australia and the world in terms of you know getting an understanding of how people that are working and managing assets are are on their journey and that the journey doesn't take overnight but i have the one final question for you the one that i'm going to be i've been asking everyone and all the
1: guests i have on what does bim mean for you i think in my mind, we are starting to hopefully uh, settle on uh, the one that we hear most often these days. I think, which means which talks about BIM being better information management, mate. Anything that improves the accurate, timely capture of asset management information, particularly for uh, a client organisation like transport and main roads anything that gives us confidence that we're making the right decisions based on the right information as we move forward in in trying to upgrade and maintain you know the state control road network it's got to be about the information we capture how we store it and then how we share and disseminate that information across the organizations it's got to be better information management nathan without a doubt
0: i'm glad how well we're aligned
1: (laughs) But I think
0: I've listened to many, too many of your podcasts, mate. Or too many of my too much, too many of my presentations where I keep <laughs> rabbiting on about it. But it, it means that at least my brainwashing is working. But <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I'd like to thank you once again, Brian, for your time. And for more information on the Department of Transport and Main Roads, or TMR, please head to our website for further reading. Now, I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information. Or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. digital transition.